Hey everybody, my name is Tom and I am really glad to be with you today. I want to get started out by asking um, a question, right? Have you ever felt like God wasn't listening? Or maybe he was listening and he didn't care? Or maybe even more severe that he wasn't even there at all? Maybe you felt like your faith as you knew it up to that point just wasn't working. I have. And you might be thinking to yourself, you might have just looked at somebody next to you and raised an eyebrow like, is he allowed to feel like that? Am I allowed to feel like that? Well, <clears throat> the answer is yes. As we, as we move along in this fully mature teaching series, we're depending a lot on the material of Pete Scazzaro from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And Scazzaro says that not only are those feelings allowed, but they're important because they oftentimes indicate that we are at what he calls a wall, or what others call a crisis of faith, what St. John of the Cross famously called the dark night of the soul. Whatever they are, Scazzaro reminds us that the wall is the ordinary way that we grow in Christ. The ordinary way that we go and grow in Christ. I want to read to you from his book his description of the wall. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or loss of joy in our relationship with God. We question ourselves, God, and the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is. We don't know what he is doing, where he's going, how he's getting us there, or when this will ever be over. So the wall does not sound like a fun place. So naturally, the first question might be, how long does this happen if this is the normal way that God transforms us? And well, the honest answer is it's different for everybody. Sometimes it can be a couple of weeks, a couple of months, could be even a year or two. But what we need to recognize about the wall, most importantly, is that it does exist and that it is part of the process and it does not mean that God has checked out. You see, sometimes when people are not aware that God brings us to this point, that God allows things to happen, that that's when we'll decide to check out on God. God is not responding to us the way we want him to. Maybe you feel like he's not responding to us at all. The faith that you had known is no longer there, and we check out. We've got to stay with God at the wall. We can't go around it. We can't go over it. We've got to stay with God because he's the only one that will get us through it. The other question might be, well, why do we have to go through the wall? The wall is difficult. It's a place of, of hard things. What we need to 
know and keep in mind about the wall is it does not mean that God has checked out or he has stopped working on our behalf. Quite the contrary. At the wall, God does some of his most significant work in us so that he might do a work through us. I've been using the word attachment a lot lately to describe our relationship to God and how he created us to be with him. He created that attachment to be one based upon love and not fear. God doesn't bring us to the wall because he's cruel. He doesn't bring us to the wall to beat us up. He brings us to the wall so that he might continue the process of transforming us into the people that he created us to be. It's a hard place, but if we can stay with God there, he will continue to grow us there through that, through that wall. You know, I'm hard-pressed to think of a... Um, sorry, let me go back. Oh, this is Scazzaro, right? Let me, let me read to you. This is his thoughts of why the wall. This is God's way of rewiring and purging our affections and passions that we may delight in his love and enter into a richer, fuller communion with him. God wants to communicate to us his true sweetness and love. He longs that we might know his true peace and rest. He works to free us from unhealthy attachments and idolatries of the world. The only attachment for which we were created is that with him, first and foremost, and with other people. All right, so the wall is hard, it's there, and it's, um, God is still with us at the wall, you guys. God is still with us at the wall, and he's working in us and through us. Now, as I started to say earlier, I'm hard-pressed to think of a biblical figure who did not have a wall that they had to go through, right? Moses, Abraham, David, even Jesus. But I want to concentrate on the Apostle Paul. And if you were with us for our teaching series on the book of Acts, um, you heard a lot about the Apostle Paul. If you weren't here for that, or maybe you need a little refresher, real quick, so Paul, sometimes called Saul, is the man who wrote probably more than half, two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted, started many churches around the ancient Mediterranean world. Um, and he, he, had, um, he had some issues, he had his own baggage, and he had his successes. Jesus wanted to, him to do some pretty amazing things. So he had to take him through some pretty difficult things in order to get him to that point. Uh, let's, you know, before, before Paul became a hero of our faith, he was maybe the biggest enemy that the faith had had, certainly up until that point, the biggest enemy that the faith had had. He made it his job to destroy, try to destroy what was the movement that was developing around um, the belief in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and what the disciples, the apostles, were, were teaching. So Paul would go and he'd start a church and then he'd, leave those folks, and he'd go start another church, and from the second church, he'd write a letter to the first church to, to check on them, to tell them certain things, to help them keep tracking in their faith with Jesus. In these letters, we get such an insight into who Paul is both before and after he met Jesus. So let's take a quick, we're gonna look at quick two verses um, that help us get some insight into Paul. This is from Philippians. This is Paul speaking. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, I want you to kind of uh, earmark that in the back of your brain. We're going to tie that together with some more information in a second, but I think this is some of Paul's baggage, that he might have struggled with 
overconfidence, pride kind of thing. But we're going to get back to that in a second. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He checked every box. He was the perfect Jew. Then, after he meets Jesus, this is writing to his protege, Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. All right, so Paul's a complicated guy. And as I said, Jesus had big plans for him. So he had to, um, he had to shape his character out of moldish, just like he does for all of us. I want to read to you the description from one of his letters to the church in Corinth that describes what I'm calling Paul's wall. This is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. I must go on boasting. See, here's this thing, right? Think about the confidence. There's reasons why he says this, but we'll keep going. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses." Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I want to take you through a couple quick things that may have sounded confusing or felt confusing about that. First off, Paul... Throughout that whole thing, Paul's talking about himself. He talks in the first person, he talks in the third person. Speaking in the third person at Paul's time was a rhetorical device meant to express humility, right? So if somebody's sharing something that could make them like, seem braggadocious, right, they would do it in the third person. So he was trying to downplay himself. The third heaven was the ancient Jewish um, conception of where God dwelt. The first heaven was our sky, our atmosphere. The second one was the planets and the stars. And the third heaven was God's realm. That's where God dwelt. That's where Paul, his experience took took place. Paul was being questioned by those in the Corinthian church about what he was saying about his authority, who he was, what business he had, trying um, trying to speak to them 
about life with, with Jesus and about faith. That's why he, he waited 14 years. He had this awesome experience with the God of the universe, and he sat on it for 14 years. He didn't tell, he didn't tell anybody, but he finally got to the point where he felt like in order to um, speak to his own credibility, he had to share this information. Paul's thorn, right, says God allowed a thorn for Paul that Paul pleaded the original language, he begged God to take away from him three times. Basically, three different theories on what that thorn is. One is that what we would basically call anxiety about the churches that he planted and the people's well-being and their ability to, to stay in a relationship with Jesus. The second one was the persecution that Paul faced from his former uh, Pharisee brothers and the religious leaders. And lastly, probably most likely, is that Paul had some sort of physical ailment. Some of his other writings lend uh, credence to that, to that theory. So Paul had this thorn that he wanted God to take away from him. And he got way more than he asked. All he was asking for was relief from this. And instead, he, he was at his wall. And at that wall, God not only took away that, that potential baggage, that conceit, that pride, that stuff from his past, but he gave to him this new understanding of how God works and from what, what he expects from people, from Paul, from you and I. This, the, the thought of um, Paul's thorn, it was his physical, his physical ailment that he had to wrestle with. And through that thorn, at that wall, God stripped away some of the baggage, and he added to Paul some of the things that he would needed, um, most prominently a deeper understanding of who, of who God is. This idea of Christ's power being made perfect in weakness. Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. that um, Paul was just asking for some relief, and what he got was the strength in hindsight, we can look back at the things that Paul went through, right? He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten with rods. He was snake bitten. He was betrayed. He was deserted. He was thrown in jail. He was this, like a riot broke out around him. He, people were afraid he was going to be torn apart by right. All the things that he was going to go through that could have made him feel weak. And what does God give him? He gives him the knowledge that don't worry about being weak. That's where I do my best work. That's where my power is made perfect. So in reference to the wall, I want us to walk away from this. God uses the wall to both tear down that which inhibits our relationship with him as well as build up that which will support it. Right? So it's both the tearing down of that which needs to go and a building up of that which we need to start having or we need, we need more of. Um, I, I don't want to be like a bearer of bad news, but we all will face at least one wall. It's part of how Jesus shapes us, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And as I was reflecting on this, I think I've probably been through like th three, maybe four. And the first one that I went through came at a time when I felt like um, God had turned his back on me. So I turned my back on God. I didn't know anything about walls. 
And in hindsight, I can say that I tried to go around the wall, right? Instead of being aware that God was trying to do a work in me, I didn't like what he was doing or how things were painting out. Everything that I thought I wanted and needed had been taken away from me. And I didn't know the word sovereignty at that point in my life, but I had some level of knowledge that God kind of ran the show. And if he was in charge of everything, then somehow he was responsible for all these things that were my life being taken away. And I didn't want anything to do with them. When I finally bottomed out, right? I, uh, I, said, I mentioned earlier, some people try to go around the wall. Some people get stuck at the wall. Some people try to go over the wall. I tried to go under the wall. When I finally bottomed out, Jesus was still with me. He met me there. And I've tried to tell this story before and communicate it in words, but I, I'm not even going to attempt it because I, it, I can't do it justice. Jesus made it so clear to me that he was better than anything the world had to offer. Any person, any relationship, any experience, any substance, that he was better and that he was with me and that he was for me. And that, that experience did more to transform me than any sermon I've ever heard, any book I've ever read, any conference I've ever been to, any mentoring relationship I've ever been on the receiving end of. Um, those things are all good and necessary. But remember, right, the wall is the normal, ordinary way that God transforms us, that he grows us in Christ's image. Walls are hard and they're difficult. And I just, I've had this thought, this recurring thought all week about how, um, how important it is, how, how I wish I had known at a younger age, right? I was like 22 when I was describing that wall to you. Um, it's just, God just kept impressing on me this week that if you guys are watching this and you would consider yourself younger, right, please know that walls are part of the process. There are hard things, and hard things don't mean that God is absent. When it feels like he's not listening, like, what I, what I could have experienced, the blessings I could have found if I had, instead of turning my back on God because I thought he turned his back on me, if I had kept my eyes fixed on him and kept my ears open, who knows what I could have gained in that time, right? That 10 months, maybe it would have been two months or two weeks, I don't know. If you are watching this, listening to this, and you are maybe not a younger person, maybe you're an older person, all, this is for all of us. We, we are living at a really unique time in history. And one of the things that's unique about this time in history is this idea that if somebody disagrees with us, they hate us. If they don't see things our way, in our timing, the way we want them done, there's no way they can be for us. There's no way they can be with us. And I think there's a real risk of projecting that thought onto God. And that would, um, that would blow up at, in our faces at the wall, and we would get stuck there. And we would get stuck there. So, <clears throat> the wall obviously has its challenges. 
The challenge at the wall is to hang with God, to know that he is still with us. This is when we need, we need to engage our full brain, when it doesn't feel like God is there. We've been paying a lot of attention recently to our feelings and how important they are. And we need to acknowledge them and we need to address them, but we need to not be controlled by them. That's when we need to engage the left-hand side of our brain and remember the truths of scripture. God will never leave you nor forsake you. God is, will work in you like a, a fire refining silver. God is like a potter molding clay. Those are all truths of scripture that we need to hang on to at the wall. And that, that can be really difficult because it can be hard. The encouragement at the wall is this. The world takes our weaknesses and beats us over the head with them and makes us feel like we're not worth it and we don't have what it takes. At the wall, God will reveal weaknesses to us, but he doesn't beat us over the head with them. And while he, he is acknowledging in the grand scheme of things that no, we don't have what it takes, Remember, the attachment is one of love. He's not trying to beat us up with that fact. He's trying to say, you don't have what it takes and you don't have to because I do and I am with you and I am for you and I have so much more that I want to show you if you would stay with me and let me bring you through this wall and on to the other side. On the other side of the wall, we find greater compassion. We find greater sensitivity. We find less judgment we find a greater appreciation for the things that we don't know, for the mysteries of our faith. We find a greater connection to God. Our, it becomes deeper and stronger and, and more intimate. God is at work at the wall in us so he can do a work through us. And he is very much there. He is with us and he is for us.